0: Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You're listening to a TVO podcast.
2: I'm Colin Ellis, and you're listening to On Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. Today I'm speaking with the director and star of TVO's newest original doc, Margin of Error, which looks at the advances made in artificial intelligence, its use in polling, and its influence on elections.
0: I think AI tests the myths of neutrality when it comes to the political process. Meet Pauly, an AI algorithm programmed to predict the 2019 election. We have found that for elections, we get the strongest
1: signal from Twitter. So that means we've got information from all over the place. Now we have the opportunity to evolve this science for the first time in 50
2: years. What is Pauly telling you about the fallout from all of this?
0: So when you connect all that data together, it's remarkable the intimate picture it paints of the individual. The traditional pollsters are afraid of this because it's the future. If social media delegitimizes the election, if people believe that algorithms have taken over the election, well, then they're not going to see the results as legitimate. There are concerning ways that um, AI is currently being applied, particularly in the realm of surveillance by algorithms that are viewing our every or every move and know us in ways better than we know ourselves. So that's the the
2: terrifying part. That's Peter Gombos, the director of Margin of Error. And later, I'll be speaking with Erin Kelly, CEO of Advanced Symbolics Inc, about the AI pollster Polly and her, yes, her, unique ability to accurately predict election results.
1: When we had multiple AIs, they were all part of our team. We don't see them as computer necessarily. They have personalities. Believe it or not, Polly does have a personality. Um, so, so yeah, to her, she's, she's a, she's a member of our team and we call her she.
2: Stay with us. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Well, it's great to be here, Colin. Well, let's just, yeah, let's get right into it. Uh, Margin of Error, a film about polling and artificial intelligence. Uh, tell us just kind of why you wanted to delve into that topic
0: there have been a lot of documentaries exploring artificial intelligence and it's in the news constantly and it's clearly described as a disruptive technology and about to change our world in the same kind of transformational shift electricity changed the world before but that kind of makes it overwhelming and hard to understand Hmm. so Looking at a particular instance of the way machine learning is applied in predicting elections is a great starting point to look at how um, AI might be changing things and also reinventing existing methods of looking at the world.
2: Hmm. Yeah, it's not exactly what... um... I thought it would turn out to be. I mean, growing up, I was raised on Terminator movies and Hell 9,000 from 2001, but it's actually a lot, um, a lot, I mean, a lot more simple or not simple, but maybe just like not as well. It doesn't turn out to be as nefarious or at least not yet. Well,
0: I, I I, I don't think that debate is closed. And in fact, that's why I bring it up in, in the doc. We're, we're somewhere in between in a way uh, that the, the, um, the story hasn't been completed so that there are, Very um concerning ways that um ai is currently being applied particularly in the realm of surveillance and facial recognition and the ways that our personal privacy is compromised and we're being fed back information um by algorithms that are viewing our every our every move and know us um and know us in ways better than we know ourselves. So that's the the terrifying part. But on the other hand, there are very practical ways that artificial intelligence is being used much more like a tool to cope with massive amounts of data and, and identify patterns in that data that are way beyond the scale of humans to identify or comprehend.
2: Well, maybe you could tell us a bit about just uh, what Polly is exactly.
0: Polly's uh, an umbrella term used to describe a number of algorithms. So they nicknamed her Polly because it uh, sounds like political, but it was just one name among many As uh, when ASI was starting to use uh, algorithms to predict uh, public opinion. What Polly is, first of all, is... Um, a tool to create a representative sample. Polly crawls through social media, and in the instance of uh, political predictions, it's crawling through users on Twitter, creates a representative sample of those users. A representative sample means that at any time, um, at any point in time, you would find uh, a group of people to reflect the greater... Uh, population of uh, an electorate. In this case, it would be Canadians.
2: Hmm. So, how does like what she does, or what Polly and, and, and Advanced Symbolics do, uh, that differs from the way other uh, polling firms conduct uh, their polling method, pe- methods?
0: What Polly's doing is looking at a huge amount of users on Twitter without contacting them directly. Polling has been around for over a hundred years, and the model <laughs> begins with people asking questions uh, and deriving opinions based on the responses to that survey.
2: Is it true they used to go uh, door-to-door and ask people questions about like who they're going to vote for on elections, basically?
0: Absolutely. Well, there's, there's, there's a, a fine line between market research and and polling after all, right? So the advent of direct mail and knocking door-to-door polling uh, I think coincide and they were used to fr- from from those questionnaire from the answers to those questionnaires they were used to derive uh, a representation of the greater population but of course the whole point of where the mailing responses were coming from or where the door knockings were coming from they had to create a, a rep- representative sample out of that response too so they wouldn't ask Uh, for respondents all in one street block, they'd have to distribute those questionnaires around uh, many neighbourhoods to get as representative a sample of the greater population as possible. Imagine that you had a whole uh, big bowl
1: of jelly beans and there was red ones and blue ones and green ones and yellow ones. You stick in your hand and you pull it out and you put down uh, those jelly
2: beans, you should have some representation of what's inside the jar. If you do it ten times, you'll have a pretty good representation of what's in that jar. So, I mean, is Advanced Symbolics like the only uh, polling firm that's using AI right now, or are there other companies doing that? Oh,
0: there are many other companies doing it. They're just doing it in different ways. I mean, when I first heard of of what Polly was doing, and it's it's easy for many people to jump to assumptions about the complexity of what poly might be, and in some ways it's it's due to the using a term like poly, right? It it anthropomorphizes this group of uh, algorithms, and it makes you assume that this is a a thinking, independent being, rather than something that is being fed data um, and that data is constantly informing the model and changing the model to understand things and then respond to them. So it's um, I I guess pop culture has a way of infecting the, what we assume must be happening. That's, that's basically what I'm saying.
2: I think Aaron makes a distinction between Polly being intelligent versus sentient.
0: Yeah, she, she does. But I think, uh, ai businesses uh, can, can play fast and loose with the way they describe themselves because it's bloody hard to understand what they're doing the math is hard the scale is hard and um so in an even, even unwittingly in an effort to explain what ai is doing to lay people it, they have to simplify things so much that Uh, it allows us to unwittingly misunderstand what they're talking about. AI is more commonly understood by its engineers as the ability of a machine to learn and think. They consider it a human-guided tool that learns by digesting massive volumes of data,
1: like social media, and then identifying patterns in the noise. What if there was an AI that could use those patterns to predict how humans would behave in the future? like predicting the outcome of an election
0: so so back to your earlier question so are uh, are there other ai forecasting companies in canada absolutely um a lot of them do what's called natural language processing they're looking at they can look at social media and they're looking at a consumer product say um a type of soap so they they search all the postings across Twitter on this, this brand of soap, and they're looking for positive or negative comments. So they're getting the sentiment, what's called sentiment analysis, analysis, they're getting the sentiment behind the public's impression of that consumer product, for good or for bad. So I just assumed, like many, that this is what people were doing, What. Well, I just assumed that this is what Polly was doing. That um, ASI was looking at the way people were talking about politics in Canada or policies in Canada or political parties in Canada and looking at the sentiment around that. And I was mm. astounded to find out that wasn't what they were doing.
2: Is Polly more accurate than other traditional polling methods?
0: Haha. <laughs> I think that's the biggest question of this documentary. And, and mm. it's not a simple answer because basically Polly hasn't been around long enough hmm. so at the end of the day it's uh, the proof is in the pudding Polly will have to predict a lot more elections'll we'll have to not only out predict pollsters but predict outcomes when pollsters read it going one way and Polly insists it's going another way and demonstrate that that level of accuracy. In our example election, our recent federal election in Canada in 2019, it's fair to say that Polly predicted quite a number of uh, political ridings, better than what the traditional pollsters were claiming at the time.
2: So I guess in the next election, uh, the hope is for advanced symbolics, the hope would be that uh, she's gonna get even better at predicting the outcome?
0: Well, here's the thing. This is where you have to really understand what a predictive model is. A predictive model, a statistical model that they're using in AI is based on data. The data keeps refining, uh, transforming the model so that in 2019, the only Twitter data that they had related to a a, political, a federal political election was 2015. It didn't go before that. There wasn't enough data available. So they, they have the, the model is dependent on a certain limited data. The more data, the, the better and better the prediction will get in theory because it has a better track record of historical information to compare with the current Situation.
2: You uh, interviewed a, a UFT professor, Jillian Hadfield, and she talks about some of the privacy concerns of social media use, which uh, Polly seems to use and is using to, uh, basically our online for information or the stuff that we put online. And I'm just wondering, I guess, uh, kind of from your perspective, if you think that, you know, AI is uh, uh, a risk to our, our privacy.
0: Right off the bat, yes. AI is a risk, but there's a bit of a a misleading understanding of what AI is when we ask that question. So, Hmm. so AI is powering Poly, but AI is also powering. There are many algorithms behind Twitter. There are many algorithms behind Facebook. So, what you see on Twitter depends on your previous activity, and uh, Twitter will post the most. Relevant tweets to you as an end user that are customized to you based on your previous activity, just like uh, That activity in your own individual activity on Facebook starts to inform the ads and News feed data and all the other things that you see on your individual um, On your individual page so so What's challenging when we talk about privacy issues is we're talking about one AI reading another uh, data site, which is powered by AI. So they're AIs upon AIs. So uh, then what Gillian Hatfield's talking about is is very interesting because the way we under- understand consent is that we basically don't understand consent. It's totally complicated, and as she points out, it's it's uh, it's a mouse in an elephant situation, where the end users are a, a mouse, and and the plat- social media platforms are elephants. We we have no um, we have no strength in, in the in the um, transaction. If we want to use a platform, uh, we have to provide consent. And at the same time, when we do provide consent, we have absolutely no true way of understanding how our consent plays out, the the multiple ways that our data can be used, not only to customize and improve, so-called improve our experience on social media, but uh, the ways in which the data could be used in many, many other ways. So, um, Polly uses data from, from a social media platform and Twitter, amongst most social media platforms, I would also throw in Reddit like that, is the end users really know what they're posting is going to be read by everyone. So it's, a, it's, it's almost as the, the most obviously understood consent Right by, by saying you consent to use on, on that platform, you, you know uh, everyone's going to be able to see what you're posting or retweeting. You have no idea how a third party is going to take that data and you, use it to predict your opinion, to predict elections, or to change how they market a bar of soap back to you.
1: But in a world where you can be tracked and who you, you know, the facial recognition technology can be following you and that can be connected back with what you said publicly on Twitter, none of us said that's how we wanna interact in the world. That's just not what we were doing. I think it's really quite pernicious to think that, well, we'll solve this with consent and we're just gonna change, do you consent in or consent out? The flaw in that is that still the individual against this massive organization and the great divide is they know a lot about you. You don't know a lot about them.
2: Yeah. I'm always astounded whenever I use like Facebook or, or Google and see an ad for something that I, like a product, like I just searched for like five minutes earlier, like, it's just so like, um, it's astounding, like how fast these things, um, uh, know, know, know us, right? no, no us. Right.
0: And it's astounding. And you laugh it off because you realize what you've done right you someone sent yeah. you a, an email or you did a search for something and that ad comes up in uh, instantaneously almost it's like and you can laugh it off but that's something you actually recognized so it, uh, ultimately for Polly to work Polly is relying on publicly available social media data whether that's good or bad is still questionable and and I just touch on this is like, will, will any regulation proposed uh, or re- refused by platforms themselves? Will any regulation of social media impact how the data on Twitter might be used to make predictions? But that's the kind of stuff that we don't know yet.
2: Well, that's a really interesting question place to leave it at I think we should just wrap up here and and I want to say thank you so much Peter it was a really great film and I really appreciate you joining me today on Undocs.
0: Thank you very much for your time.
2: And now here's my conversation with Aaron Kelly from Advanced Symbolics Inc. Aaron Kelly thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. Well, you're a frequent guest on the agenda with Steve Paikin, but uh, for our on-docs listeners, maybe you could just start by telling us a bit about uh, Advanced Symbolics and and what Polly does.
1: Sure. So Advanced Symbolics is a company that was spun out of research from the University of Ottawa. And this was a five-year research project where they wanted to see, could they get what's called a representative sample? That's university-level research. Uh, Representative samples of populations online for the purposes of human behavior research and, uh, and that's where Polly was born. She was born out of the University of Ottawa and her claim to fame is that she's able to get the voice of the population what what average people think about different issues. So the, the challenge with social media has been, uh, you're always listening to the people who post the most. Um, but Polly is able to make sure she gets every voice, and that it she sees them in proportion to how often they post. And so we're really getting a good and accurate read of what people think and feel.
2: And you refer to her as a she, but she's an AI. <laughs> 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 why? 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 And, and, and you know, it's not just uh, Polly. I mean, there's Siri, there's Alexa. It always seems like they they give them uh, women's names. Why, what? What's going on there?
1: Well, it's actually funny how Polly's name was born. So originally, we. Polly. Every iteration, every project that we do, Polly starts from scratch. Like she's born. So we used to give each AI its its name. Now each AI was a clone of the original, uh, but we gave them their own names. And some of them were male, and some of them were female. Uh, the the what happened with Polly's that was actually the name that we gave to our Brexit AI. And we got a lot of publicity because we got Brexit right, one of the few that did and one of the reporters asked me, does the AI have a name And I said she does actually and we hadn't done a branding exercise or anything that particular AI was called Polly and after that customers would come and they'd say we'd say okay, you get your own AI and you give it a name they say no, I want Polly 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 got Brexit I want Polly so after that we just we just said, okay, there's one AI. Cause it's true from a code perspective, it is one AI. You had different iterations of it, but so now, and, and it just so happened that that AI was, a f- you know, female, we called her she, they all they all were personified to us because for us, the AI, we actually don't call it artificial intelligence. We call it alien intelligence because to us, the AI really is a team member. She's part of our team. Um, and And when we had multiple AIs, they were all, of our team we don't see them as computer necessarily they have personalities believe it or not polly does have a personality um Hmm. so so yeah to her she's she's a she's a member of our team and we call
2: her she does she have a voice
1: she doesn't have a voice right now what she has if you if you see our logo it's all dots and that's because we animate polly um so that her dot the dots can reform and and show uh, emotion depending on what she is seeing. Um, so she doesn't have a, a voice, a physical voice that she has a look, if you will.
2: You know, you, you're, you're in this film margin of error and it's tracking, uh, the last Canadian race and, and Polly's, uh, tracking the views of Canadians during that race. So I guess, you know, maybe you could just tell us basically what Polly is doing exactly. How is it, you know, uh, keeping track of what Canadians are, are thinking during the election.
1: So what we did in the last election and this, we learned this from doing the American election in, was it twenty sixteen
2: sixteen? It feels so long yes. ago. <laughs> we,
1: we learned from that one that uh, we, we really needed to do the, the districts, right? So in, in the case of the American election, the colleges, and in this case, each electoral district, the ridings. <clears throat> And so, in in, and that became really important. You see, during the last Canadian election, because it was a minority government and the and the vote was very close, by getting the seats, not only were we able to to understand the difference between the popular vote and how it would uh, play out in terms of seats, but it also enables us, more importantly, to get underneath those issues in each region of Canada. And and we're doing it again for the American election because it's at getting at the riding level or the district level that you start to see what issues are polarizing people depending on where they live and what their experience is. So we were really able to see for example that in in Quebec the issue wasn't separatism uh, even though the Bloc Quebecois was elected the issue uh, is is was the environment and the the unhappiness that Quebecers felt when they felt that uh, the pipelines were being supported and yet the green energy plan that Quebec has was not being supported. And by getting those issues at the forefront, you're better able to see what news items will steer the election in a different way. So really understanding how people perceive them at a, at a district level helps us to predict the election a lot better.
2: How does knowing what the issues uh, that voters are concerned about, translate into um, being able to figure out which party is going to get seats in that area?
1: Because we're better able to see what effect a, you know, a perceived scandal will have. So for example, when we were doing the Ontario election, there were a lot of scandals out there, right? Whether it was uh, Ford and, and you know, his family antics, or there, there were cases where um, the NDP compared some people to Hitler or what have you, there was, there was abortion in the federal election. We're able to see to what extent people care about those things. And if people don't care about them, then it doesn't matter how scandalous it's perceived to be. Uh, for example, we see often that budgetary issues, like when Andrew Horvath made a, a mistake in the, in, the, in the budget forecast, it was a big mistake, but people weren't concerned about that. Um, We see right now in the in the American election, people don't care that much about Trump and his taxes. The people who care about that are the people who weren't going to vote for him anyway. But they they do care about how he treats the uh, covid virus and his reaction to that. That's having a huge impact. Uh, So understanding what it is that motivates people will help you to forecast the effect of a scandal, even if it comes a week before the election.
2: Yeah, I remember when you were on last year uh, and Trudeau's blackface scandal uh, came out, you know, that, you know, it, it did cost him some seats, I guess, in early pro- in the early projections. But then it just like within a day, you know, it, it, it kind of dissipated, right? Like it wasn't it wasn't really on voters minds anymore.
1: Yeah, it did. It did cost him and it cost him right up to Election Day. But it didn't cost him as much as it would have if it had come out a week before. It, it definitely impacted people. And and we see also in the United States, race is a big issue in this particular election. So people really are ready for change in race relations uh, and in how we treat racialized communities. That's clear on both sides of the border. And we've, we've done separate research on that. People, the mainstream, white people are ready for change. White people are pushing for change. People have had enough of this. And, and it really is hurting Trump in this election as well. It's what pushing a significant number of people toward the Democrats.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, the obviously the liberals uh, won that last election when they won a minority. Um, how how accurate was Polly in terms of getting uh, the race correct?
1: She was she was within two seats. And that's what was so amazing about it. Uh, we were able to call the election when others were saying it was going to be too close to call. And that's really the, that's really where an AI can get that accuracy that traditional pollsters using phone surveys or web panels are not able to do.
2: Hmm. I guess, uh, are pollsters ever like mad at you? (laughs) Other pollsters, the ones that don't (laughs) use like AI?
1: (laughs) Well, let me put it this way. Nick Nanos has blocked me and a number of my (laughs) employees. Uh, So I would say the answer to that is yes.
2: Wow. Um, Do you ever get asked to work for like a political party?
1: Yes, we have been asked to work for political parties and we do not work for political parties uh, for a number of reasons. Chief of which is we do a lot of work actually with the civil service. We do a lot of work for Health Canada and other departments, uh, the auditor general, and we don't want to be seen as a company that is aligned with a particular party because we're we're not aligned with particular parties. Now we know that the parties do get access to our stuff. We send out our predictions to our customers this this year. We're you know we've got it up on the website, so they we know they have access to it. But we don't consult, and we don't uh, we don't get paid by political parties.
2: How important do you think it is for the public to know about? Um, how polling works, how artificial intelligence and in polling works. Cause I, th- I think, you know, there's a lot of questions around, I guess, like polling and, and AI too is, I mean, it's been around for a while, but you know, I think there's probably a lot of misconceptions about it. So I guess how important it is for you to get people to understand how this technology works?
1: Well, it's a huge challenge because what what I want to communicate is this is not a new way of doing research what it is is taking the traditional way of doing research which is representative samples of populations and applying it to a new technology which is social media so you have social media listening tools but what they lack is that representative sampling so we're taking that university grade research and we're applying it to where the conversations are taking place today they're not taking place on the telephone anymore, they're taking place online. And so it's being able to get to, to correct for all the demographic and sociographic issues. It is augmented too, because when you see who people's networks are, and who they interact with, Polly is able to to do a better prediction, because none of us is an island, right? Mm-hmm. We're influenced by our friends and family.
2: I think it's brought up in the film that, you know, not everyone's on social media, or not everyone's on Twitter. And, um, you know, the percentage of people on Twitter is even you know, not that it's not the whole population. I think a few people bring up that criticism. I wonder what you say to that.
1: Yeah, well, sure. And not everybody took the Pepsi challenge last week and not everybody was part of the phone poll that, that, you know, the conservatives did, but you can still predict what the population will do based on getting representative sample. It's exactly because not everybody is there that you have to get a representative sample. And we've shown through our research that there isn't a, a, a big qualitative difference. There was before 2012, but since 2012, there's not been a big difference between people who are online and partic- participate in social media and those who do not. Um, so we are able to get a representative sample of every age and demographic group and psychographic group that you can get through a, a a phone survey, the added advantage is that the people are not being asked questions. They, they, they are being polled in their natural environment. There's no questions asked. We're just seeing what the natural conversations are while still preserving privacy.
2: Hmm. Well, I think another challenge that comes up in the film is just uh, um, the, um, the, the, extent to which polling kind of influences, uh, the way people vote, the way parties behave, you know, if they see that, you know, they're down in the polls, you know, it may change the, uh, way a party, um, T- takes on an issue like you know, say pipelines, for example. Like, can you talk a bit about that? Why, why, why that seems to be a concern?
1: Well, it, it's a concern for a good reason because we know it the, that seeing where people are in the polls does affect uh, the vote and and I guess the the you know the the campaigning. Um, and, and we, that's always been the case, though. Like a lot of, one of the other reasons we don't work for political parties is because often when you work for political parties, you're asked to only publish when the polling is flattering to that party. Hmm. And, and and we don't want to get into that either because Polly is unbiased. She's not a person. she's a, She's unbiased. And we want to maintain that. So that's another reason we don't want to be used as a political prop during an election because our whole brand is that we are, we, we cannot be swayed, Polly cannot be swayed that way. So um, so that's always been the case that often pollsters will release polls that are favorable to the party that's paying them. Uh, we see ourselves as democratizing this process and saying, this is the way it really is and these are the issues and reflecting people's concerns uh, to themselves so that, hey, if if the environment is a big issue or race relations are a big issue, then the politicians need to know that and not just campaign on it, but really do something about it. Um, because it, it's forcing politicians to to understand what the population is concerned about and to tailor their policies and their campaigns to those concerns.
2: Well, you say she, she, she's, um, she doesn't have bias, but I mean, she's invented by people and people have bias. So how do you, how do you kind of square that?
1: Yeah. Now you have to be very careful in working with an AI. Um, She's an algorithm. She gets trained. What we do to, so our goal is always to make sure that we are not biasing Polly in how we train her. So we let her read everything. That's how we Hmm. get around that. We say, you go on the news sites and you read everything to do with the election. Because that's the great thing about an AI. She can actually rock everything. Um, and, And then we're constantly querying her. So we have PhDs who work with us to make sure that she is maintaining her, um, her unbiased. Now, how you work with an AI is you give it a hypothesis, right? What's called the null hypothesis. And she has to gather enough information from all of her reading to, it's, it's like a trial, right? This is how we do it in, in a court. We say, innocent, you have to prove guilty. In the case of Polly, for example, we will say, it is reasonable to to assume that the incumbent will win so you have to prove that the incumbent will not right and you know once she gets enough proof of that she starts to tilt it but she has to always keep herself that unbiased observer um and and go from there
2: so even like she's reading like not just people's tweets is she also reading kind of news sites as well like like CBC and even like sites that maybe are questionable in terms of their legitimacy and accuracy.
1: Right. And so what we don't want to do is just tell Polly only watch Fox news and tell us who you think is <laughs> going to win the election. Right? <laughs> she has to watch and read everything. And she's also remember she's reading the population as well. She's mm. got her representative sample of 300,000 Americans and she's reading them and she's comparing what they're saying to what the different news outlets are saying. But yes, yeah, she reads everything mm. uh, because the the Americans are reading these things, right? And so she has to know what it is they're reading.
2: I think it's fair to say there's some people who have, I guess, concerns from AI. You know, they may have it from just watching movies uh, that have depicted artificial intelligence in sort of a dystopian fashion. I'm thinking, obviously, of the Terminator movies. I wonder from your point of view, if you think AI is something to be afraid of.
1: I know I think AI is something I most of us can't live without and we don't realize that um, most I almost I think all AI that I know of today is used for good. I mean, it's used in medicine. It's used in Google Maps to get you to where you want to go. Um, I don't know of any AI right now that is used for evil purposes. In the case of Polly, she's just reading what people think and feel. She is not affecting the outcome of the election. Um she is reflecting what people are saying about the candidates and saying about the campaigns. You cannot, what I always explain to people is you can't actually get people to do things that, I mean, there's been experiments that show that people can be persuaded, but in the, in the case of a, of an election, I've never, even like Cambridge Analytica and stuff like that, we've shown that the, they didn't actually affect the outcome of the election. What they did was wrong cause they breached people's privacy, but there's, there's no reason to believe that they actually affected the outcome of the election. Um, but we have to be vigilant, for sure. You have to make sure when you're using AI, we've, for, for example, we've seen where AIs, when they're misapplied, used to decide whether or not uh, somebody should be, how people should be sentenced to prison or, or how she should predict recidivism rates. If she's trained on data that is biased, which most prison term data is because <laughs> we know that we have bias in the system, then the AI is going to be biased in its predictions. So we have to make sure that the people who are working with the AI understand how to train it, understand to, that how sensitive it is and how you have to give it unbiased data to train on. And you have to always be checking in and make sure that the AI is, is on track. But AI is really, it's not, certainly today is not the sophisticated thing that people think. It, it doesn't have the capacity to start world war three or you know we've seen a lot of uh, headlines that say oh the ai ai is learning their own language you know facebook sent something else like that 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 those things are not true that's kind of marketing stuff we get into the science of that hmm. your average ai is just it's an algorithm it's a statistical machine it's seeing patterns and it's reflecting them back
2: but i guess if it was to fall into the wrong hands like it could be used for pretty nefarious purposes is that fair to say
1: um, well, for example, uh, like, say if, if you were a government that, um, wanted to, it, it, I guess it would depend on the AI, uh, in our case, you know, we've been asked before, can it be used to see how like could, could governments like China or Russia use it to affect the election? No, because our AI is not collecting names or it's, you know, there's no way, even if you were to break into all our systems, you wouldn't see anything like that. Cause we just don't collect those names in the first place um going down the road sure i think any any technology can be used for for good or for evil i find that ai for example does a great job in in cybersecurity we're seeing some really interesting applications there to protect people and so you want to you don't you don't want to just leave it into the hands of you know the the, the bad side you want to make sure that we're using AI for good, that we're investing in it, and then we're, we're using it to secure our systems, to, to bring advances in healthcare. Um, I think it's definitely got much more applicability to good than to
2: evil. Are you doing something around uh, the pandemic with, with Polly?
1: We are, actually. Uh, so uh, Advanced Symbolics and Polly have been chosen um, to do research on predicting COVID-19 in communities in Canada. We have some other, we've done a lot of work with Health Canada and we have another announcement which I can't talk about yet today because it's not been made public yet, but we are definitely doing work in predictive healthcare.
2: Is there something that you're, you're, you kind of dream of using poly for that maybe uh, isn't ready for yet, but are you working on something that you can talk about?
1: Yes. So ultimately, so we do a lot of work. It's funny, we're, we're, we get the most media attention for our polling work, but actually the majority of our work is not in political polling. And we, we really don't make any money off the political polling. Well, the majority of our work is in uh, health research. So um, for example, we do work on drug recalls to see whether or not the population got notices of drug recalls and whether or not they changed their behavior. Uh, we do work on smoking cessation. Um, uh, we've done a lot of work in suicide research. Um, and that's what the team really loves to work on. Our goal is for Polly to, for, for Polly to help people achieve what they want to achieve. So I, I mentioned in the documentary that Polly can see things about people that they can't see themselves. So, for example, in the uh, smoking cessation work that we've done, uh, there's different tools for, for smoking cessation. By by gathering all of that data, you can more accurately assess what will work for different people so they don't have to spend seven years trying to quit. It's important to understand that what she's doing is helping people do things they already wanna do. So people want to quit smoking, they just don't know how. They want to stop gambling, they just don't know how. Um, Polly is able to help people achieve the goals they want to achieve. Now we're not 100% of the way there, this is part of our deep dive market research, but our hope is that everybody will have Polly on a personal level, working for them, helping them achieve their personal goals, whether it's, we've done a lot of work in mental health, um, helping people recognize when things are you know going wrong and what they can do about it um, in, in addictions research. So that is long-term what uh, Polly's goal is. We also want to, as I mentioned earlier, democratize data. We see way too often data is used as a weapon. You see studies coming out that support what certain companies or organizations want you to believe we would like to have a democratization tool for Polly, so that people can go and ask Polly, right what you know what do people really think about this what do people really think about these contentious issues and are we as far apart as we think we are so we want to democratize that so people can get accurate information because if you don't have accurate information that's when you get conspiracy theories and lack of trust in government and things like that. When people don't have clean information.
2: God knows there's enough of that right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, I guess this is the first time you're, you're, your company's been kind of in a documentary, I'm assuming. Um, how does it feel to kind of put yourself under the microscope like that?
1: It was interesting. I mean, you're putting yourself out there, right? I mean, we came out because the documentary was filmed before the election happened. And we're on camera saying, it's gonna be a liberal minority government. And, you know, we, we really took a stand and um, I know that the others did not. So, and it was great to be able to have that confidence because we had done it so many times before. We know that Polly is dead accurate. So, but it's still, you know, it's still, it's still daunting because you're, you're watching it happen. And when it's a minority government, you know, it, it's always close, right? um but that's where the ai really comes through anybody can predict a landslide uh, it's it's when it's close and that polly really shines and that's why she really shines in 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 the healthcare work that we do that we mentioned earlier because that's life and death in a lot of cases like it's important to be accurate
2: was well, there any final thoughts you want to leave us about uh, either polly or or ai or anything else
1: i just want people to know ai is your friend i mean we <laughs> ai is out there um, like I said, there's a lot of, I, I know I see the, I see the shows or the evil AI and all that, but it's not something to be afraid of. It's something to, um, to be happy about that, you know, especially the work we see going on in, in healthcare, uh, it's really, it's saving lives. It's not, you know, so I, I want people to really, uh, have an open mind about it. And not due to AI research, what we did to stem cell research, right, which is the fear mongering that, that stopped that research from doing what it really, the potential that it, it could have had.
2: Yeah, the politicization of it, I guess, is, is really what you got to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, uh, I can't think of many examples of a, a positive AI in in pop culture. I guess the closest I can think of is Janet from the good place, but, uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah,
2: Maybe, maybe that, maybe we need to see more of that to kind of balance the scales a little.
1: Yeah, I think so. Or just, just be aware of it in everyday life and and how it's helping predict flus and, uh, all sorts of things. I mean, it's it's still nascent research. Um, but it's, I think all new technologies go through that period where they, everybody gets, there's a lot of fear mongering and, you know, is it going to take my job and things like that? It's going to change things, but technology has always done that and people have thrived because of it.
2: Well said. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks, Colin. And that's the podcast. Margin of Error premieres on TVO at 9 p.m. on Saturday, October 17th. You may have heard that TVO is celebrating its 50th anniversary. And to help celebrate, we're doing a telethon featuring some of your favorite TVO hosts like Steve Pakin, surprise guest appearances, and plenty of trips down memory lane. The show begins at 6.30 p.m. on Saturday, October 17th. If you like what you heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and better yet, tell a friend. If you want to get in touch, you can write to us at ondocs.tvo.org and you can follow me on Twitter at ColinLS81. Thanks to producer and editor Matthew O'Mara, production support coordinators Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hollowell, series producer Katie O'Connor, and executive producer for digital Lori Few. We'll catch you at the next screening.